There's cancer in my bones From the poison I've accepted There is blood on my hands From the work they have neglected And this hole beside my heart This is love rejected These weakened muscles This is my body Yes, when I was, well, when I was eight, I have that, the really crystal clear memory, memory, um, prior to that, it was little snippets, you know, um, you know, we spent a lot of time at the church. My mom was a, a CCD teacher. Um, my brothers were altar servers. You know, we were in out of the church all the time, uh, the priest, not just this priest, but other priests came to our home regularly. It was a, it was a common, you know, thing. It wasn't, it was no big deal. And when this priest came, he, he had radar for, um, I really feel like he had the radar for the child that was just searching for attention. You know what I mean? You're listening to Allie Gephardt, who was a victim of childhood sexual abuse in the Diocese of Tucson back in the 1970s. I've asked her to talk to the listeners of Oro Valley Catholic to understand what the uh, effect of and the experience of childhood sexual abuse is. This isn't what happened to her so much, but how it was that she was groomed for abuse and then her story since then. So let's listen to Allie describe how this priest set her up for sexual abuse. This is Oro Valley Catholic, and this is Father John Arnold. He seemed to just single me out. You know, that's the way I felt. I mean, I don't know for sure, but that's what it felt to me, that um, he, you know, told me how cute I was and made me feel very special and uh you know he would he start flow by you know patting me on the shoulder or you know just different um things like that that you wouldn't think anything of and then it progressed you know then he would start doing things um like whisper things in my ear or kind of rush brush his um mouth against the back of my neck you know, and I'm a little kid, and I'm thinking, well, I giggle because that tickles, and I think, wow, this is really, this is something because an adult is talking to me. An adult is, um, acts like he values what I'm saying. So I'm feeling like, you know, wow, this is, this is neat. You know, I, and, you know, my little brain, I'm thinking this, this person, really cares about me and he really loves me and he really wants to, uh, you know, what's best for me kind of thing, you know. Allie's described what's known as grooming behavior. Grooming behavior looks like the kind of attention a caring adult might give to a child. But grooming behavior is anything but. It may look the same, but the intention isn't the well-being of the child. The intention is to establish a relationship of trust with the child that the abuser can take advantage of in the Catholic Church and church communities in general. The abuse of uh, 
minors uh, is generally associated with a relationship. Uh, it isn't very common that a church worker, a priest, an employee, a volunteer would actually kidnap a child and abuse them. Instead, it is uh, a relationship that the abuser tries to build uh, through the, the church experience. Well, it was, uh, there were a lot of us and my uh, father was an alcoholic. So it was, it was a little rough, you know, we had uh, a lot of challenges. We, we were, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, my, my mother did the best she could with what she had. Uh, my father came from a, a rough childhood as well. Um, I think that's where the alcoholism kind of sprung from, but, um, Anyway, uh, I had six brothers and two sisters. We were brought up Catholic. You know, it was just, that's, you know, you get up on Sunday morning, you go to church and, and the whole thing. And I don't know at what point I decided that I love my Catholic faith. I think that's one of the things that attracted me to Allie's story. She wanted to help parents and kids understand what the reality of sexual abuse was. Like I said, I want to avoid the really disturbing, deeply disturbing aspects of what sexual abuse of children is. But to understand why it's such a problem is to understand also the effects that it can have uh, in someone's life as they grow older and suffer the effects of abuse. Here's what Ali said. Yes, the the abuse made me very distrustful um, because after the you know after the abuse occurred and you know he he told me that if I told anyone he wouldn't love me anymore and that was a big deal to me and he also told me he would something might happen to my mother you know which you know my mother was my world you know so so I. You know, I have this secret I'm keeping, and then, you know, I've got just a lot of trust issues, lots and lots. You know, I was I was scared to be alone because I didn't know, you know, because at one point, at some point in my mind, he became like this monster, you know. So, you know, I and when I'm a small child, I'm trying to go to bed at night, and, and you know, I, I, I mean, I'm not even having, like, thoughts, like, thought out thoughts, you know, I'm just having thoughts of fear, being f fearful of the unknown, fearful of what might happen, fearful of just really, I mean, looking back now, really nothing because, but I, you know, in my mind as a kid, there was something. And as I got, got older, you know, um, I was, you know, 12 and 13 years old and, and, you know, I'm really starting to notice boys and, you know, changes and things like that. And, and, I'm having, now I know feelings back then that really were not appropriate for the age I was. But because I had had all this done to me, the buttons were pushed, you know? And, and it's, it's hard being 12 and 13, you're not like anyone else. If a boy uh, was talking to me and, you know, I really liked him and he didn't act like he wanted to touch me, well, I thought he didn't like me. You know, and well, that wasn't going to go anywhere. So, of course, you can, you can, 
as adults in our mind, we can kind of see what kind of person I would attract. And that's what happened. Allie describes at the age of 17 or 18 years of age when she met a man and her encounter with that man jogged her memory about her childhood abuse. He wants to, you know, he wants to touch. So, okay. So those feelings, all of a sudden I'm like, this stuff's coming back to me. Like, and it's just, I don't know what it is. I don't know where these memories are coming from. And so I spend time thinking about it and everything. Well, my mom came to visit. She wasn't there all the time, but she came to visit. And I told her what I remember. She, I don't remember her getting upset or she just kind of gave the impression she just wanted me to shut up and uh, told me that he had been, he had done it to some, some other girls and that he'd been prosecuted and she thought he was in prison. When the sweat, it hits the eyes, they are blinded by the stinging. When the air, it leaves the lungs. The priest that abused Allie was never arrested, charged, convicted, or imprisoned. In fact, he ended up dying of natural causes, ironically, about the same time that Allie reported the abuse to her mother. You know, a lot of the allegations of abuse that have come forward in the last 30 years, 20 or 30 years, are historic cases of abuse, uh, cases where either uh, a report was made and nothing happened, or worse, no report was ever made. And so the question is, is uh, what gave Allie the courage to bring her allegation of abuse uh, to the church? Uh, well, we, we got a, a new priest at our parish, and he's, he's a young priest and very personable, nice young man. And um, we would, we would uh, text, you know, like um, just the things about church, whatever. And one day, I don't know, I just started talking to him about this through text, which made it easier because, you know, text is very not there in your face. And, you know, you can talk about it. And, and uh, he kept talking to me and um, handled it very, very well especially for being a young priest. I mean, I think he did a great job. Um, and, you know, he told me before I got too far into the story that, that he was going to have to report it. So, you know, wanted to make sure that he wasn't um, violating a trust with me. Um, he said he could report it either anonymously or use my name. And I, don't, I didn't have a problem with him using my name because this was not something I did. You know what I mean? I, and people have got to stop feeling that way, but it's hard. Uh, but yeah, I shared my story with him and he shared it with our um, safe environment director, yes, um, Bill Holtmeyer. And he then contacted me and kind of got the ball rolling on all of this as far as, um, I really wanted to, to seek some therapy at this point. You know, most of my kids are grown, so I don't have the, you know, the constant care of children. So I could actually stop and take some time and uh, seek the therapy, and uh, which I did, and the Diocese of Tucson did take care of that. By its very nature, uh, child abuse is a secretive affair. Uh, the immoral don't advertise it. It's very shameful conduct. 
and the difficulties that bishops and fellow priests have had is dealing with uh, men, uh, employees that you see as they're engaged in the same work that you are, that care about people, and what you experience is cognitive dissonance. What the complaint of the child that's been abused is and the denial of the accused abuser. Well, to get caught in the middle of it is not an easy thing, but what convicts many is the testimony of the children. Bishop Gerald Kakanis uh, was the bishop that did so much for our diocese in addressing the issue of child abuse in the diocese. He took the Diocese of Tucson into bankruptcy in 2004, liquidated the assets of the diocese to try to make an equitable and fair distribution uh, to all the claimants from 50 years of complaints that had not been adequately addressed. But for him, one of the most painful things was actually meeting the victims. One of the most uh, painful experiences of any bishop is to sit with someone who has been abused and to hear firsthand the pain and suffering that they have experienced and to try and offer some support, to try and pray with them if they would, and also to assure them that we are going to do everything possible to make sure this doesn't happen again. The reason that Ali was given counseling was that Bishop Kikanis hired Dr. Paul Ducro back in about 2002 to build one of the very first safe environment programs in the country. I think the Diocese of Tucson was the very first diocese in the country to put up a list of credibly accused priests. And as you know, that's been controversial. But the Diocese of Tucson's been a leader in that. Here's Dr. Ducro describing what his charge was for the protection of children from Bishop Kikanis. So when Bishop Kikanis hired me, the diocese was in a serious situation. There were a lot of complaints. Uh, the, the extent of everything was not known. And there was no particular system yet for prevention. What year was this? This would have been in 2002, at the very end of that year. During that year, the diocese had made some very progressive moves. They had developed a, a board to meet and develop uh, what became the Sexual Misconduct Review Board and its policy. And it was a very good and comprehensive policy. So in the course of the hiring, what they were doing was looking for a person now to spearhead the implementation of that policy and to report to that board and to the bishop. Bishop Kikanis and Dr. Paul Ducro have done great work and that works going forward in our diocese. But the truth of the matter is, when it comes to protection of children, it will always be a work in progress. There is zero tolerance of abuse of children in the church. But it has to be recognized that the people that perpetrate these abuse, uh, this abuse is always, are always going to be coming at us. You probably are aware that the Vatican has said in the very near future it will be issuing a report on how Theodore McCarrick was able to arise through the ranks from priest, bishop, archbishop to cardinal of Washington, D.C., 
all the time being an abuser of young men in the seminary and at least one allegation of child abuse from his early priesthood. How did that get by everybody? But somehow it's at the heart of what the disease has been. And the disease is clericalism. Clericalism isn't just the disease of the priest, the idea that uh, the priest thinks he's above everything. The real sin of clericalism is how the whole community receives priests. Criminals are criminals whether or not they wear a collar. Everybody has an obligation to report crime to the police. So what do you do with all of this? You know, I think we're used to in the paper uh, hearing victims who feel so betrayed by the church, their faith undermined by corrupt priests. So I asked Allie how her experiences of child abuse had affected her faith. You know, at first, I don't really, honestly don't know. And I don't know at what point it solidified for me that this person, yes, he was a priest, and yes, he was violating everything, everything. But he was also a man who, humans do evil things, they just do. Um, And I wasn't gonna let him, I view God as a loving, forgiving God, okay? And I needed him in my life. And I wasn't going to give God up because of this person who I felt like, you know, just pretty much worked for the devil, you know? And and, and I just, I'm grateful for whatever happened in my, my life, whatever happened, I'm so grateful that I didn't go the other way and go, okay, this is, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to completely get away from my faith because of this. It didn't happen that way for me. And I know that I'm incredibly blessed for that grace of God, whatever. But, um, I just, it made me a stronger Catholic. It made me more, um, more vigilant about my faith, more vigilant about the children and more vigilant about, you know, you can't trust, uh, you, you, I don't want to say you can't trust anyone because that's kind of, you know, really negative, but you have to pay attention. You know, I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's a priest, a police officer, a teacher. I, I If you get a feeling from someone that something's not right, or your child starts acting strangely with someone, you've got to pay attention to that. And you've got to respond to that and, and not just brush it off. Because if you do, you'll, it's always a regret, always. I don't want to have any regrets about how I responded to uh, abuse of children and vulnerable adults. That's why at St. Mark's and throughout the diocese, we report any allegations of abuse or suspicions of abuse to the police. It's their job to investigate. Uh, it's nice if it involves an employee, a volunteer, or a priest from our diocese that after you report the abuse that you would uh, give the bishop a call. But you know, there's really two things that I'd like to accomplish in two future podcasts. The first is I'd like to talk a little bit about this whole McCarrick problem and also what's happening nationally and at the diocesan level 
to protect children and vulnerable adults from abuse. It's not just the Diocese of Tucson. You've all been reading the papers. They know that other dioceses are wrestling with this same problem. We're not alone. And that's why I say this is always going to be a work in progress. We'll never be there. But we have to constantly be vigilant. The second thing, I want to do a podcast also about uh, Kevin Heider's song, The Body. I had the most interesting conversation with him about the night he wrote this song and what motivated him to write it. I think this is a time when Catholics have to listen carefully to how the whole church, how other people feel about this problem. Because I think it ought to inspire us uh, to do what we can do to uh, help people like Allie. And so I asked Allie what her advice would be to victims of abuse. Well, number one for the victims, anybody who has been a victim, I want them to understand that you don't just think, oh, this happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago. Reach out to someone, you know, it doesn't even have to be anybody that you know, you can find a therapist, uh, not just, you know, abuse from a priest, abuse from anything. Reach out and get help and realize that it is not something you did. It is not something that um, you were targeted for a, a specific reason. It's, it's just that there's evil in this world and it's not your fault. And I want people to understand that you can heal and you can feel loved and you can feel God's love. That's what I really liked about Allie's story. It's, there's a lot of darkness in it, but God's also there. Uh, a lot of faith and real healing. You know, I, I've been trying to say I have two more podcasts coming your way over the next month or so on this topic. The first is with Kevin Heider, who wrote the song, The Body, which is comparing the suffering of the church with Jesus on the cross. And I thought when I heard it, it was a beautiful song. And he wrote it the night his child was born because he was so disturbed, like I said. And so I reached out to him. He agreed to talk to you about uh, how he thinks about all of this and what he was trying to do with the song. And I thought what he had to say is so worthwhile to listen to. Uh, the other podcast that I want to do is something about the McCarrick story, which I think we're going to get a report from Rome pretty soon on what all that was and it's not obviously going to be a good thing but to tell the truth is such a positive good and healing thing healing cannot happen absent the truth and so we'll talk about the great work that the bishops are doing holding each other responsible and if you've been reading the paper yeah you're holding each other responsible I think you'd be very proud of our Bishop Edward Weisenberger, Bishop uh, Gerald Kakanis, who gave great service to our diocese. And they're not alone in this work, uh, but they really rely on your prayers and my prayers, but also our vigilance. So this has been another episode of Oro Valley Catholic, and I ask if you'll pay attention as these other two podcasts with Mr. Hader and about uh, issues nationally on child abuse. Uh, and then, if you think this is worthwhile, share it with a friend. Before the dying of the light, may my last breath be your king.
to start a fire within the bar.